According to John Spence, reading is the path to success in school. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Learning Capacity. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast, improving student learning outcomes with neuroscience-based language and reading programs since 1999. If you'd like to know more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And remember, we're always keen to hear what you think. Send your emails to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast for free. Search for Learning Capacity in iTunes or visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. John Spence is considered to be one of the top 500 leadership development experts in the world. In America, he's recognized as a business thought leader and influencer, and as a guest lecturer at some of the big-name universities such as Harvard, Stanford, and the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. I recently heard John give an interview with renowned podcaster John Lee Dumas, who produces a show called Entrepreneur on Fire. In that interview, John Spence outlined some key issues for business success, and one of them was reading. And not just the occasional book, but lots of them. In fact, about 100 a year. Given that recent Australian research indicates that about 1 million children in Australia are at risk of reading failure, John was someone that I simply had to talk to. Clearly, reading made and continues to make a profound impact on John's life and the people he advises. Surprisingly, though, it wasn't always the case. In this episode, John Spence shares invaluable wisdom as to why reading is so important. John Spence, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. It's my honor to be here, Colin. First of all, I just want to give our listeners a bit of background. I was listening to an interview you gave with uh, John Lee Dumas on Entrepreneur on Fire a couple of months ago, and you were talking about your business, and I I thought that was quite interesting. I really enjoyed that. But then towards the end, you started talking about the importance of reading, and I thought, hello, hang on, this this is... (laughs) This is important to me and to my audience. Being a podcaster, I thought, well, okay, this, there's an opportunity here for us to, uh, to collaborate. And so you, towards the end, you said uh, you can, people can contact you, you, you know, they can write you an email. And I thought, well, I can write an email. So <laughs> I did. <laughs> so I did. And you responded. And here we are talking about how to make reading better for children around the world. And I just think that's really cool. Actually, you're the third person I've talked to today from that uh, podcast. Is that right? Uh, the other two were small business owners that that sent me notes and said, I'm struggling in my business. I need some help. I need to know how to get ahead. Can you spare 20 or 30 minutes for me? And I had two wonderful conversations. So isn't it neat that we live in a world today where you can, you can like you, we can find somebody who's interesting that we want to connect to, just send them an email and you're on the phone a couple of days later. That didn't happen 25 years ago. No. No, no, it didn't. Look, I want to start with your tagline. I love that when I saw that, making the very complex awesomely simple. Do you realize that you might have just invented the ultimate tagline for all teacher education? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, it, it's taken from a couple of other uh, taglines, uh, one of them uh, from one of my heroes, Leonardo da Vinci, that said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. But I learned that, and you, your teachers know this, it's very easy to make something extremely complex. It's, it's exceedingly difficult to make it awesomely simple, but that's the best way for people to learn. When did you realize that it was your thing? I mean, uh, let me put it to you this way. When did you realize that you had a key that could unlock the complexity code? Uh, and we might get into this a little bit more deeper later, but it's when I understood that in almost every area of learning, there's an underlining pattern. 
that if you study something long enough and deeply enough and really give it some serious thought, it, all of a sudden a pattern emerges and you start to understand it at a level that other people don't understand it. And to me, it's when you see that pattern that complex things become very simple and clear to understand because you get them down to their most fundamental elements. People listening to you talking like that now and thinking about what you do for, for a living and you travel the world helping people to understand that, they, they might be thinking, well, that's fine for you because, well, maybe you're just naturally gifted or you had a, a ray of sunshine which helped you understand that or maybe somehow your, your education was privileged. But your start to uh, college education or what we would call university education wasn't that straightforward. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I, I'll we'll go back even a little further. I I was privileged when I grew up. I I grew up the son of a very famous attorney or barrister, as you might call it, uh, and went to a private prep school. And in high school, hated to read, absolutely hated it. The only reason I would read was so I could play sport, because you had to have a certain GPA and you had to do a book report during the summer if you wanted to come back and and play football in the fall. So I, I, the, I resisted reading as much as I humanly could and did the minimum amount possible. And then when I graduated, uh, I, I had the opportunity to go to several different universities. And I chose the University of Miami in Miami, Florida, because that's where I grew up. And that's where my boat and my girlfriend were. I had a little <laughs> fishing boat and a girlfriend, um, and which is why I, I was particularly serious about school. Uh, I literally did not show up for class until the midterm exams the first year. I bought the books. I got the syllabus. I went to the beach, uh, which is why a year and a half into college, I was kicked out of the University of Miami, which was especially uh, notable because my father was one of the top alumni ever to graduate from that college. He was on the board of directors of the university the year I got kicked out. Uh, and there was a building on the campus named after my father. So you got to really mess up to get kicked out of a university where there's a building named after your family. <laughs> it sounds like a good story, though. So uh, yeah. read, well, reading really wasn't your thing. Hey, listen, uh, to come back to you, I need to confess to you that re reading wasn't really my thing either. It is now. But can I tell you my confession story? Oh, please do. Please, please. We, we have a, uh, a fundraiser here in Australia for the uh, Multiple Sclerosis Society, and it's called the MS Readathon, and I believe it still runs. And that's where you get uh, young children in primary school to collect money for all the books that they've read. And, you know, year after year, the, the paperwork comes around and, and, you know, you take it home and you start to collect sponsorships. And I hated reading. I just, I just couldn't see the point of it. I thought it was boring. I couldn't find anything that, was, that engaged me. And so... Well, my confession is that uh, not every book on the list that I collected money for was actually read. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah. look, uh. I, I, look, it sounds terrible, but I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the charity was uh, willing to turn a blind eye to that. So let's let's talk uh, specifically about reading. Uh, a recent research report released here in Australia suggests that about one million children are at risk of reading failure. And I'm just going to draw a long bow here, but I suspect there could be similar things going on in the States where you are. In fact, here it gets a lot worse. About one third of children under 15 are not reading to the national minimum standard. And some other research which uh, supports this also says that the, the ability level in a year group, like in any year group in high school, in terms of reading, can sometimes be measured in years and not, not months. Now, as an avid reader of books yourself and an international advisor to management, what kind of emotion does that make you feel when you consider the implications for our educational managers? Oh, it's terrifying. It's terrifying because uh, 
the foundation of, of leadership, of greatness, of being able to make a contribution back to your community and your world is in large part tied to your ability to come up with great ideas, uh, use ideas you've learned, and, and be well-educated. Not educated necessarily at university or graduate school, but being self-educated, being a lifelong learner and, and being committed to what I call personal Kaizen, continuous incremental improvement 1% every day, and reading is a foundation of all that. And Colin, we're suffering from the same thing in our country. Um, you know, um, Americans go, oh, we're great. We're America. We're the leader. No, we're like number 26 in the world in reading and number 36 in the world in math. Yeah. Um, it, it would be, you know, as an American, I say, it'd be pretty hard to find 35 other countries that kick our butt in math and science. But that's where we are. And it's because our, our school systems are struggling. Our teachers aren't nearly as well-respected or well-paid as they need to be because they hold the future of our country in their hands and budgets around the, the, the entire country for reading and other things, other stuff that's fundamental, what we would call STEM uh, research is dwindling. And it's, uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy, but it's killing the golden goose. I mean, you're, you're wiping out the very thing that continued that could continue to make our country great, which is a well-educated youth. Yeah, I'm reading a book actually uh, by an author called John Taylor Gatto. I'm not sure whether you've heard of him. Uh, the book is called Weapons of Mass Instruction. And uh, it's interesting that I'm reading a book about that. Again, there's the importance of reading straight away. In order to learn about the history of something, it's, it's good to be able to read or at least to want to read. And uh, he, he tells the story about how a principal asked him to uh, start a, a program for, to develop critical thinking. And uh, to his response was, sure, but if you do this properly, your school's going to become unmanageable. And the, <laughs> <laughs> and the principal says, what? <laughs> and he goes, well, can you imagine if suddenly all of these hundreds and hundreds of students become critical thinkers and effective communicators? Do you really think they're going to put up with the nonsense that you force down their throat every day? <laughs> <laughs> so my awesome. mind immediately went back to the Matrix where uh, – uh, Morpheus looks at Neo and says, all I can offer you is the truth. You take the red pill and you get the truth. You take the blue pill and you wake up in your bed and you go back to believing whatever it is that you want to believe. And somehow I, I see an analogy there with the whole reading thing. People just can kind of scoot through life and everything's kind of worked out. Uh, everything seems to be working, but there's not a lot going in. You know, there's there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of stuff there to support what you think. So people have a lot of opinions, but they're not necessarily informed. So, coming back to why reading has meant such a big deal for you, I think that telling poor readers to read more is a bit like telling a really anxious person to just calm down and don't worry. So, let's not think about exactly what you might say to educational leaders at this point. We'll come to that in a bit. But why has reading made such an impact to you, to you personally, over the last couple of decades? Well, it's been very clear to me. Uh, I'm a fairly competitive person. I like to win. Uh, I like to be good at what I do. It's important to me. And when I was failing out of college, I had a college professor come over and, and he heard me saying that I really needed to get better grades. I want. I had been kicked out of university and I was in what we call here in America a community college, which is sort of two tiers down. And if I got good enough grades there, I could reapply to university. And I was telling my friends, I've got to do well. I've got to do well. And this professor walked over and said, I can tell you how to get straight A's in college. It's very easy. Would you like to know? And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, number one, read the books. He said, at least in college, 90% of the answers are in the books. If you'll just read the books, you're 85, 90% of the way there. Number two, ask for help. 
Ask your teachers, ask the TAs, ask the professors, ask the other students. Uh, do not be afraid to ask for help from everyone. Then number three was start study groups and find the other bright students that are that want to get good grades, that want to study, that are interested in this, that are enjoying what they're doing, and hang out with them. And it was as soon as I started reading the books that I went from failing to being at the top of the class. Now, again, I, I wasn't a big reader, but I understood that reading was the path to success in school. That again, 90% of everything I would need to, to be outstanding to win in school was in the books. <laughs> and all you had to do was open them. Those, I know, it was, it's magical. And then when I graduated <laughs> from university and got my first job, uh, I looked around at my fellow you know, folks that were around my age, and I was reading at that time probably 50 books a year, a book, you know, maybe two, three books a month, something like that, all business on leadership, communication, strategy, the things that I would need to, to do well in my job. And the first year they went to give out bonuses and everybody got 500 bucks and I got $1,000. Oh, wow. Uh, the next year, everyone got 1000 bucks and I got 3000 bucks. The next year, everyone got 3000 bucks and I was named CEO of the company at 26 <laughs> years old. And I realized it wasn't because I was brilliant. It's because I've been reading and studying and learning all these things and I had access to ideas that other people didn't. Didn't make me a genius. I wasn't smarter than anyone else. I just had more... Uh, uh, fodder, more information in my brain, more ideas I'd learned from other people. So I had more suggestions and ideas about how to help and grow the company. So I was able to look at my life and very clearly see that reading equaled success in college, reading equaled success in my career, and reading equaled great success in my income. And I, I know that roughly I make about another thousand bucks a year for every book I read. Uh, hence the reason I've been trying to read 100 to 120 books a year every year for the last 25 years. And it's pretty much kept pace uh, from, from that time. So I see the value just in how it's impacted my life, my family's life, my business life, my career. It's been the major determinant. More from our discussion with John coming up. If you'd like to know more about the research that I've been referring to, then check out episode 58, where I speak with Dr. Jennifer Buckingham from the Centre for Independent Studies about recent research that's come out on reading in Australia. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free. Search for Learning Capacity on iTunes or visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. Let's just come back to some research, though, because um, th the research that was talked about recently here in Australia suggests that about two-thirds of children will actually need specific reading instruction or even uh, significant intervention. And uh, the research also cites some reports from America that, uh, that suggest the percentage over where you are is actually quite a lot higher, that uh, much more than two-thirds of, uh, of students will need specific instruction for reading. Now, you went from hating reading to now voraciously chewing up books. Was, was that a hard transition? It was an extremely hard transition. Uh, and, and I'll say this part, too, is I came from a family of readers. My father was a fanatic reader. I mean, he would read literally almost a book a day. Wow. Um, but I did, I, I did not get that gene from him. So the transition from not being a reader at all to being a voracious reader was very challenging. Uh, and it took a lot of, a lot of effort. However, I will also say that the people I looked up to around me were all big readers. Uh, and, you know, it, 
it's the most important thing I've ever learned in my life. You become what you focus on and like the people you spend time with. And I think one of the big roadblocks we have here in America is that parents don't spend enough time reading with their kids. Um, if my father hadn't been a voracious reader, I probably would have been in an even worse situation. My mother was a great reader too. Uh, and it wasn't until that I started to get into it and I saw the positive impacts that I looked back at my, my parents and realized that their success, especially my father's, was in large part due to their curiosity and their, willing to, in, their time willing to invest in reading. But it's a skill. It's not something you're just, wow, I'm an awesome reader. I can understand everything I read. <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of practice and skill. Yeah, now, um, you uh, started one of those study groups. That was some advice that you got, but you then actually did start one. Uh, were the people who came to your study group also avid readers? Yeah, and, and here's an interesting thing. I'll just say this from, from a school standpoint. Um, what we did is I, there were six of us that were all in the same major, studying the same thing, had the same classes, and what we did is we divided the work up. Uh, Colin, you read chapters one through five. I'll read chapters six through ten. Um, Sue, you read, you go read the extra credit, and we would come and teach each other. Uh, we fat, and so together we helped each other enjoy the reading more, enjoy class more, be more successful together. And when I graduated, we graduated numbers one through six from the university we graduated from. So obviously the results were there. Fast forward to today, I'm 52 years old. I still have a study group. I have a mastermind group of CEOs that come to my house once every 45 days or so, and we, we assign each other books. We, we all read a book, we get together, we talk about it, we talk about the skills. So even today, I try to surround myself with people that are voracious learners, critical thinkers, and see the value of reading um, for improving their lives at, at multiple levels. Just doing some numbers here uh, whilst you're talking, you've probably had a look at maybe several thousand books then over your time. And uh, something I heard you mention in that interview with John Lee Dumas was that you've got some filters for determining how much attention you give to an author. And I, I loved that concept. I thought, wow, you know, because sometimes I read a book and I think, oh, gee, do I really have to grind my way through this? I feel like, so when I start a book, I feel that I've automatically committed to it, but you don't. So if a, if a student, if a, if a child is struggling to find reading material that engages, what advice would you give them to find it less of a grind? Can we start to teach children those sorts of filters early on too? Yeah, well, there's, there's, a, there's a slight difference, Colin, which is at you and I's stage in our lives, we get to read whatever we want. <laughs> As a student, often they're assigned books that truly aren't that great or that interesting. So there's part of it. Yeah, I know. Well, you, it's one of the things I learned too is it's a game. You know, education is a game and reading is one of the ways you win the game. So if you want to get good grades and win the game, re, every now and then reading a book you're not, you're not expe especially excited about or, or frankly don't even care for is part of the game and part of the deal. However, I think it's a great learning experience to read a book that you're not particularly enjoying and, and, and ask yourself why. Why am I not engaged? Why is this not interesting to me? Why am I not enjoying reading this book? The, uh, one of my filters is for reading for pleasure or for fun is if I get 50 pages into a book and I haven't learned anything new and I'm not really excited about it and I'm not engaged and having fun, I just won't read any further. Because if I, I figure if the author can't give me something compelling, exciting, interesting in the first 50 pages of a 250-page book, I'm not going to give him another 200 pages to prove I was right. 
which is you know, one of the reasons that libraries are so great and things like that. Because, I mean, I buy all my books now because if it's really good, I want to keep it and put it on the shelf and study it again and read it again. If it's bad, I put it in a box and I donate it to our local library. But for a while, like in college and after college, I lived at the library. I actually took one day a week uh, when I was a consultant and made it my library day. And I would get breakfast, go to the library, and stay there all day, and then leave, have lunch, and come back, leave, have dinner, and come back, and spend an entire day once a week at the library doing nothing but reading and studying on stuff that I, that I had no idea. Just going in and going, that book looks interesting. Let me read some of it. Yeah, I guess educational leaders will talk uh, a lot about the importance of reading. But, you know, sometimes when I hear all the rhetoric going around, I reckon sometimes it, they, just want us, they just want people to know Oh, they, they, sorry, they just want it to sound like people know how to read. They're more interested in knowing whether or not a student can actually read rather than whether the student likes to read or whether they're reading to actually learn something. And, and reading is critical to your ongoing learning. With the amount of books you read, you, I mean, I can't imagine that you, that you remember every single thing. You've mentioned talking about drawing the patterns together. Can you talk to us more about that? Sure, sure. And you've hit on something really important, Colin, is as I read things for a specific reason. I'm reading to learn new ideas, new information, things I can use to help myself, to help my clients. So I've got a very clear purpose when I pick up a book. Now, I do read a lot of history and philosophy and other stuff just for the sheer fun of it, but the bulk of the books I read, I'm reading with a very clear purpose. So a couple of things happen there. Number one is I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm trying to learn. Uh, I do a lot of underlining. If I get a point or an idea, I pull out a yellow pen, or if I'm reading it on my iPad, I've got one of those little stylus, I underline it. I also have created a system of notes to myself. Uh, a pound sign, or what they would call a hash mark today, yeah. uh, tells me it's a number to remember. Q is, this is a great quote. And R with a circle around it says, reread this. Uh, and I've got a whole bunch of those. And if something's really good, I'll draw a line next to it. If it's really, really good, two lines. If it's something that'll change my life, I put a couple stars next to it. Then when I get to an end of a book that I've enjoyed, I immediately go back to the beginning and read just the underlining and the big stars and the reread stuff. So I, I immediately go back and get an overall summary. Then if it's then I take my journal out and I will write down on one page or two pages the major ideas I took away from that book. And then what I'll do is reread that a couple of times. So I'm able to take a 300-page book through underlining, get it down to maybe 20 or 30 pages. Then through studying that, get that down to maybe two or three pages of big, big ideas. Then it's, it's easy to remember a book. You don't remember all 300 pages, but I can remember three or four big ideas. So let's say that kids are sick of hearing this sort of thing from their teachers because what you've just described is, is, I guess, kind of similar to that whole summary sort of thing. You know, a teacher comes into the room, right, here's the book, you know, you've been assigned the book, we're two weeks in, what have you got? You should have made some summaries. But for some reason, that message isn't really getting through as effectively and as enthusiastically as to what you've just described. If you were given your chance to try and describe the importance of what you've just mentioned, that, that process that you've just outlined to children, what's, what's the main... What's the main vibe that you would try to get across to them? Wow, that's a tough question. There'd be two parts to it. Part one is I would want to understand where they're trying to go. What are, what are their goals? What's important to them? Do they want to do well in school? Do they want to be an artist? Do they, what do they want to be when they grow up? And helping them understand that reading will get them there, that reading is a path to everything they dream of. And lack of reading will be a, a big wall, a brick wall that will be very hard to get over. So understanding the importance of reading and that it's going to take you where you want to go. 
And then the other thing I, I would say is, is, is helping them understand the fun of being able to take a big book and get it down to some ideas that you understand, stuff that you can use, stuff that frankly makes you s- smarter and seem smarter and, and enjoy uh, a more curious and fun life because you understand stuff at a different level. It's not it's not fun to be someplace where you don't understand things. You're, you're anxious, you're overwhelmed, you're confused. Reading and other learning things allow you to enjoy the world more fully because you have ideas to understand things at a little bit deeper level, how things work, how they intertwine, what the pattern is. And that makes your life a lot more fun and exciting. Let's, uh, let's talk about time. Uh, if I suggested to teachers that they should start something new, like a new reading group or a, a study group or, or some kind of new program for implementation, usually the response that I get, and this is a response you hear all the time, is, I don't have the time. Where am I going to get the time? I'm too busy. Now, I, I know that this might resonate with you because you spend a lot of time on the road. Um, you know, from, from what I hear, a couple of hundred days a year on the road. And a comment that you made in that last interview was, you don't have any more time that you can sell because there are only, 360, right. there are only 365 days in a year. If, you've, if you come across that response where teachers say, I just don't have the time, what, what's your response to that? It's a very simple answer. What are you going to say no to? Look at right. Look at what you're doing right now that isn't truly adding value. That's less important than than what you're talking about. And figure out a way to say no to it. Um, I don't watch TV. Uh, the average American watches uh, what is it? Twenty hours of TV uh, to thirty hours a week every wow. week. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically they spend almost an equivalent amount of time at work as they do watching TV. It's scary. Uh, I don't go to movies, uh, maybe once or twice a year if it's big. Uh, I don't go to the mall. So, uh, you know, I don't do anything that doesn't, I'm really clear about my values and the things that are most important to me and my wife. We don't have children, but together in our lives. And if something doesn't meet those values and it really isn't important in my life, I've spent years building up the courage to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And I will, I will almost, you know, people say, you don't understand, John, I can, I don't have things I can't say no to. I'm busy. I got kids. And I got no, you're wrong. There's hours there. If it's important enough to you, you will find something to say no to, no to, or you will find five minutes out of this and three minutes out of that and 10 minutes out of that. I mean, I work with CEOs of hundred billion dollar companies who tell me, John, I have no more time. I'm running a hundred hours a week. I'm on airplanes, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and at the end of the week, I can usually find three to four hours that was just wasted time. Yeah, sure. And go, now you can continue to waste this time if you want to, but I've just found three hours or four hours for you that you could spend with your family or you could spend on your health or you could spend reading. Um, so it all comes down to what are you willing to say no to? Okay, two final questions and we'll finish with this. Uh, sure. And they're, sh- they're short questions. A final message to our educational leaders? The world is in your hands. And a final message to our children when it comes to reading. Reading will, will allow you to change the world and, and live the life you've always dreamed of living. John Spence, it's been an absolute inspiration. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure, my honor. And thank you for what you're doing. It's insanely important to all the kids and, and uh, teachers that are listening to this podcast. You've been listening to Learning Capacity, brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about John Spence, then visit johnspence.com. 
If you'd like to know more about LearnFast and individualised reading programs for your child, then visit learnfasthome.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.